We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B-E to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights, strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com slash B. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we work to amplify the voices and ideas of changemakers in education. We talk with students, educators, and thought leaders who are questioning the status quo and resisting tradition in education. So welcome Rebel Educators to this episode of the Rebel Educator Podcast. Welcome Rebel Educators. I'm here today with Sarah Omar. Sarah is a freelance teacher trainer with over 10 years experience in the field of English language teaching mainly working in the Middle East and North Africa region. Sarah previously worked for the British Council in Egypt for eight years as a higher teacher, where she trained and mentored teachers, developed adult courses, and created a series of videos on YouTube about the IELTS exam, the IELTS Cafe. In her free time, Sarah enjoys reading, listening to music, and traveling. Welcome, Sarah. Well, hi, Tanya. Thank you very much for having me here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk. This is a world that I don't know a whole lot about. And I'm interested to hear your perspective and how you got started in this work. Okay, well, let me take you back in time. It all started when I was like, maybe in primary school. I had this great English teacher who inspired me. And ever since then, I always knew that I wanted to teach. But apparently, because I'm a non-native speaker of English, it's basically my second language. And so What I had to do was to work all my life to improve in order to achieve a level of proficiency to help me become a teacher. And this means that I can only teach English as a foreign language, ESL, or as a second language, ESL. So we have a lot of acronyms in our field. And so when I graduated school, I chose to study English literature and language. So basically, a lot of Shakespeare, Dickens, applied linguistics, phonology. And when I graduated, I went to work for one of those corporate multinational English language centers where they teach a lot of languages, including English. 
So basically, I was teaching adults, people from the ages of 18 up until like 50s and 60s. And in this context, people basically needed to improve their English in order to either apply for a job, get promoted, immigrate, and so on. And that was back in 2010. And then I started to think about uh, taking this more seriously and get certified. So I took a very difficult course back in 2013 um, at the British Council, which is called CELTA, or Certificate for English Language Teaching for Adults. And I trained up to become a certified teacher. And then I joined the British Council in 2014. As a trainee, I had to pass a series of exams in order to become a full-time teacher after one year of me joining the British Council. Uh, and then later on, I did my diploma in teaching English as a foreign language for adults in 2017. I uh, finished it two years later and then promoted as a higher teacher. Basically, a higher teacher is someone who supervises other teachers, trains them, mentors them, and also works in management doing some kind of product development, marketing, and customer services. So that is, in a nutshell, what I did in the past 11 years, I think. So you mentioned it was an English teacher in primary school that made you want to be a teacher. What made you go down the path of wanting to be an English teacher instead of a primary school teacher or teaching something else? It sounds like there were so many hurdles to overcome in this path. But what made you really want to teach English? Well, I did teach kids as well. I didn't just teach adults. So I started teaching kids back in 2015, I think. That is when I joined the British Council. I taught all age levels and groups. And I was really good with kids. But for some reason, I found that it made more sense teaching adults, maybe because they were easier to deal with, I think. Uh, I didn't have to like run around them and grab this kid and or or scream or sing or dance in the classroom. So it was basically it made more sense to me uh, and for my professional development. Now I'm picturing you dancing in a classroom in front of a room full of adults <laughs> trying to keep their attention. It's much different classroom management for sure. Yeah, that's true. So what are some of the norms in your field or the path that most people would take? And how did you work towards challenging some of those in your journey? That's a really good question. Well, it was definitely discrimination. And it was different kinds of discrimination. So discrimination, racial discrimination, not sexual discrimination, actually, but it was more racial. Most of my colleagues were, we were half, like some of them were Egyptians, some of them were British. And I had to work really hard to prove that I wasn't any different. Maybe even I was at the same level or even sometimes better. So the problem was it didn't happen straightforwardly, the discrimination part. It was either with management or maybe students sometimes, they were under the false impression that I always needed to have a foreigner or a British teacher to teach me. And that if at any point they got an Egyptian teacher, they would just feel like they weren't getting the whole experience. And that was probably one of the um, downsides to working in this field, especially in the corporate world. 
because unlike schools, like if I were to work at a school, it's completely normal to be non-native or bilingual teacher. But if an adult student was coming at a language center, paying their own fees, they expected something in specific. Um, so basically, it didn't really affect me much because like I said, it wasn't like I didn't have to deal with it face to face. It was like many situations along my career that showed me that people will really prefer someone who, let's just say, quote unquote, colored, which was really bad. This is something that I had to deal with for quite a long time with both managers and students. And because I've always been a rebel and a very stubborn person, I didn't let them see that it affected me in any way. On the contrary, I dealt with it as if it wasn't happening at all. I just worked really hard to prove myself, which put me under a lot of pressure for sure. But at the same time, like you said earlier, I went through a lot of hurdles to prove that I was equally good or even better sometimes. Well, I succeeded in doing that. But towards the end of my position, before I resigned, the things took a bit of a wrong turn and then things started to unravel. So when I worked as a teacher, only as a teacher, I didn't see what was happening behind the scenes. But once I started becoming a manager and I was working with upper management, I started uh, learning more about how the corporate world was being run and that the way they dealt with teachers or the mentality, this was the second challenge I had to deal with, that we were just a number and they can replace us at any time. And it didn't really matter much whether you were very good or not even good. So I didn't have to deal with a situation with me. But back when we went on lockdown during COVID, they had to let go of some teachers who were extremely good, talented, professional. Unfortunately, most of them were Egyptians. So the question came to myself and I was like, why are all of these teachers, they are getting rid of Egyptians and why didn't they make a balance of like some British and some Egyptians and were they really discriminating back then or what? So a lot of questions started to come to my mind and I was a bit scared that they would let go of me at some point. But I think because I was part of the management team, they kind of had an excuse not to let me go. So that was the second thing that started to irritate me working in this specific environment. It was becoming really toxic that you can get rid of any teacher at any point. And that wasn't the only thing. There were other things happening in the background by higher management in terms of pay as well. So these are the things that I had to deal with up until recently. And that's when I started thinking about moving on and submitting my resignation because I felt that. Well, if I had to work in this environment and I was fighting all the time, it was basically like a battlefield. It did definitely affect my mental health and well-being, in addition to other teachers I was working with. So since I was supposed to be the one like providing them with, with support and giving them hope, then how could I do that if I didn't feel supported and safe as well? So another challenge I had to deal with. Yeah. Wow. You're arguably, you know, one of the best in your field and doing incredible work and still facing discrimination 
because of being a non-native speaker and I guess for lack of a better way to put it, you know, being from somewhere that's not known as English speaking, would that be fair to say? Yeah. And facing that racial bias and discrimination continuously in the workplace. I feel like I want to ask you something about how we can help to break that down or how we can help to move forward so that future teachers don't feel that same discrimination or are faced with fewer hurdles. Well, if you want my honest opinion, it's going to be a bit too dark what I'm going to say next. Unfortunately, there's only so little that you can do. Because even when you check the LinkedIn drops that are being posted on a daily basis by some corporates in different Arab countries, they blatantly say in that uh, the following features required, you must be a native speaker of English. And then they put between brackets, UK, USA, Canada, and South Africa. So no matter how qualified you are, how good you are, you're still not good enough because you're not a native speaker of English. Your passport, quote-unquote, is not British or Australian or American, etc., etc. So you either accept it, you have to accept this fact, unfortunately, because this is a market demand, apparently, in some countries or in some contexts, and try to find ways of improving yourself, working on your professional development. Just ignore what you see. And you can work in other places that accept bilingual native speakers, which in some countries now they do. Like the other day I saw an ad requesting bilingual teacher of English and Spanish. So that was good. That was a first. So it looks like this is something that's going to slowly, I wouldn't say vanish, but it will take a long time for employers to start adjusting their point of view. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I'm a native speaker of Arabic, but I can't teach Arabic. I'm not qualified to teach Arabic. You know, after COVID, things started to change, obviously. Not everything, but this is one of the things that might take a bit of a time to change. And like I said, you don't have control over this. You can't control everything. You can accept this fact, take it with a grain of salt, and apply elsewhere where you are being accepted as a bilingual speaker. One of the quotes that you have or one of the things that you say on your LinkedIn profile is that success is not guaranteed, so make the most of your resources. And that's kind of what I hear coming through from what you're saying now, is that there are some places to fight the system and be a rebel, definitely, but there are also places to choose where to fight your battles and be in a place where you're safe and not only accepted, but really appreciated for the skills that you have. Exactly. And I think your work speaks to you, basically. You don't have to try to say anything. And that's why back then when I was faced with any challenge, I didn't like, I wasn't outspoken about it as much as I wanted to prove this by through my work and through the feedback I received from my students. So yeah, I think your reputation is something that you really have to work on in this field or any field for that matter, as long as people believe in you and you can put results on paper, because no matter where you work, at the end of the day, you are trying to bring revenue in this place you are working for. So as long as you're doing that, and that's the sad truth, really, you're going to have a job, basically. So it's a mix of knowing how to work with the people like management 
and the people at the same experience level as yours, and also the students that you are working with, if you can succeed in making all of those people accept you, then you will become really successful. However, that's another thing. Uh, it's a set of skills that you need to acquire as well, not just subject knowledge. So if you have lack of people skills, that's the problem. That's an issue. And in my field, having had worked with Arab students, basically, Arab students love being complimented and you don't have to be hypocritical with them, but they love hearing nice words about them. And so... This is another thing that people have to learn in order to succeed in this field. We all like hearing nice words about ourselves. <laughs> yeah, true. But some more than others. Yes, yes. So you left this and you started your own teacher training as a freelance teacher trainer. Yes. And I'm thinking through a lot of the training and the education that you've done that wordplay and entomology is probably of some interest. And so I love the background of the word freelance and what that means from a structured word in Korean entomology. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, interesting. I just read the other day this post that the word freelance originates from someone who used to be, I think they were not an assassin, but someone working closely in this field, someone who fights on his own, basically. So you're free, basically, you're your own boss, which is great. But at the same time, you're marketing for yourself. You're trying to bring revenue for yourselves. You're trying to, again, make an appearance. You're trying to show yourself. So I wouldn't say it's one of the disadvantages of the field, but it's just that not everyone is equipped for it. So I'm still like testing waters here. Like I just been doing this for around three months now because I quit my job quite recently. So I'm still learning. I'm still learning from other people. People have been in the field for quite a long time. So getting connections on LinkedIn really helps and doing professional development continuously now because I'm trying to acquire more skills. Marketing is one of them. It's really important. I didn't study marketing, obviously. I did some work in marketing when I was doing the higher teacher role, but it's a world of question marks for me at the moment. So that's what I'm trying to learn or teach myself. Yeah. Part of what we do in our English language teaching in our elementary school is structured word increase. So I got curious about freelance. When I saw the post, I pictured like King Arthur in the Knights of the Round Table. <laughs> Is like a lance is a sword. And so this freelance person isn't associated with a group, but it's actually a free lance. Like, mm. <laughs> you know, the person who has the free sword who can fight for either side or go wherever they need to go and do what they need to do. True. I, just, I got really fascinated by it. <laughs> exactly. And I think, especially during these times of economic instability, especially in my country, becoming a freelancer and leaving somehow highly paid job was the first act of rebellion that a lot of people in my family didn't quite understand. Why the hell are you doing that? <laughs> so I didn't get any support of any kind when I started doing that. But as long as you believe in what you're doing, this is something I've always had an insight about or I pictured where I was going and I knew what I was doing. And even if I make a mistake, or even if I fall, then so what? That's how we all learn anyways. 
So this is the kind of mentality you need to have when you become a freelancer. You need to accept failure a lot than before. Because again, nothing is guaranteed. Even if you have a stable job, then no one can guarantee that you're going to have it forever. So you need to learn how to navigate this world on your own sometimes and become your own fighter, basically. So I know this is new to you, but you were talking about the discrimination and how in the pandemic, you watched your employer primarily get rid of Egyptian employees and you wanted to be this and a beacon of safety and support for them, but you didn't feel that you could do that in the managerial setup in the corporation that you were in. So as you looked for your vision of what you want to create as a freelancer, do you see creating a space and a place for non-native or Egyptian English speakers to use their skills and to teach as a part of your organization as you grow? Well, this is one of my like ultimate goals is to have like a rebellious kind of cooperation in the like I don't know whether it's in the near or the far future, but it's definitely one of the things I have been thinking about. I'm not sure if I'm going to achieve this or not, but yeah, I can definitely see myself doing something like that. Because one of the things that drove me to take this decision was to take control of my mental health and well-being. Everyone was suffering anyways ever since COVID and with the economic instability, like I said earlier. So if you are mentally unstable or you're going through a lot of anxiety and depression, and at the same time, you're fighting proof that you are a good employee and it doesn't matter whether you are native or not. That's a lot to carry on. That's a lot of burden I had to deal with on my own. Because I had to show other people that I was strong enough and I was doing this on my own. So I think psychology is a field that we all need to have some kind of bits and pieces from. Learn about it a little. Know how to deal with these kind of issues that happen to people in the background. You don't have to go complaining to someone. Like you don't have to wait for someone to come complaining to you about how they are feeling. You need to learn how to read people sometimes and learn how to step in in order to offer some kind of support. Not everyone is able to complain or able to express their inner feelings. So I think one of the great things about being a freelancer is that you learn new things at your own time. You explore new areas, new arenas to add to your skill set. All the time. So there's one question that I ask all of my guests on the show, and that's if you can share a story that you remember from your elementary school years. I know you talked a little bit about your English teacher from your primary school, but do you have a specific story or is there something that stands out in your mind from your primary school years? Uh, okay, well, I still remember my Arabic primary school teacher. Again, he was one of the best teachers I've ever had. His name was Mr. Mason. He used to, like, he gave me this nickname. He gave some people, like, I don't know whether he was, like, he's trying to show preference or not, but my nickname was Pearl. In Arabic, it's called Lo'loa. I still don't know why he called me this name, but I still remember how he used to teach. Everything was, like, easy. Everything was fun. I always waited for his classes. And he used to give me a lot of stars in my assessment. And he used to write a lot of great compliments like, excellent, I hope to see you as one of the best, stuff like that. 
And these things can really stay with you forever. And looking back, I believe that the role of the teacher is quite important. Like you can either shape someone's future or you can have a great effect on them or you can also have a bad effect on them. So I hope I have been like my teacher. I hope I have left any kind of effect on my students, any of my students that I taught, whether young learners or adults. And that was one of the reasons why I got into this field in the first place. I wanted to leave an impact on someone's life. I wanted to help them achieve their dreams. It sounds a little bit, you know, like someone who is trying to thinking really positively about everything around them. I swear I'm not that kind of person, but I try to do this now for my mental health. Thank you for that story. How can people get in touch with you, Sarah? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. Just search for Sarah Omar and you will find me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a wonderful conversation. I wish you the best in your freelance business. Thank you so much, Tanya, for having me. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Rebel Educator podcast. I'd invite you to check out rebeleducator.com, where you can see all of our upcoming workshops, webinars, and professional development opportunities. UpAcademySF.com, where you can see our current progressive elementary school in action. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review and rate our show so that others can find it and love us too. Keep resisting tradition, Rebel Educators. There are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Do you want to save time on prep work? Increase achievement for all student populations? Reliably meet Tier 1 standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash B-E.